Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This is Computer Talk with Tab, hosted by Eric Semmel of Tab Computer Systems. Interact by phone at 522-WTIC or 1-800-966-WTIC. You can email them in the studio at gethelpattabinc.com or get help anytime at computertalkwithtab.com. Now, here's Eric. And good morning. This is Computer Talk with Tab. I'm Eric. And I'm Bob. And we're going to be here till 11 o'clock, taking your computer problems, comments, questions, and concerns. And then coming up at 11, Dr. Alessi will be in with Healthy Rounds, giving you a second opinion on your health advice. But right now, we are honored to have with us uh, a rare guest. We don't have a lot of guests on our show, but we have Craig D'Angelo with us. Good morning, Craig. Hey, how are you? Good. Craig, you are a IT worker at Northeast Utilities and uh, were displaced by uh, an outsourcing firm. And I saw your, your information came across some of our news feeds that we review as IT geeks. And uh, this H-1B visa thing is close to my heart. So I wanted to bring someone on like you, who is A, running for Congress, which is tremendous. Uh, maybe you can do something about this thing. And uh, also has a direct uh, reflection of what happened to you that you're, you're, you're talking about. So welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Thank so, you very much. It's good to get the message out about the H-1Bs because from my contact with people, a lot of people really don't understand what the H-1B visa program is all about yeah. and how it actually affects the American IT worker. Right. Yeah, please please let us know. Go ahead and uh, give us your experience and your background and understanding of what's going on. Well, in October of 2013, after the merger of Northeast Utilities with NSTAR, uh, the CEO came down to um, Berlin, Connecticut, where the IT staff was working, and she was doing a town hall meeting. In regards to that town hall meeting, she proceeded to tell the 220 of us that had been gathered there that they were going to outsource the IT infrastructure and development services of Northeast Utilities. Mm -hmm. After she, well, after the shock of of getting over that, she did proceed to tell us that they had chosen two companies, Infosys and Tata, which were foreign companies. And her explanation to that was the fact that they chose those companies due to the fact that they were global workers. Mm -hmm. At that time, we were a little clueless as to why she was saying that, but global workers uh, can adjust to change a lot faster than the American worker. Oh, wow. That's a nice little dig on the well, American market. Well, that was a little slap in the face to us. But right. then again, we were a little naive because we really weren't sure what she was talking about in regards to that. Right, because that's just really quick. I mean, Tab Computer Systems, our company, that our day job, right? We, uh-huh. we are technically outsourcers, right? We are the IT company f- for small businesses who may not have IT at all, or we augment and help existing internal IT folks for small businesses, or in some 
occasions we do replace the internal folks that are there, but it's an American worker replacing the person with an American worker on a fair com- uh, competition, right? Uh, we pay the same right. taxes, we pay the same wage uh, taxes, we pay all- everything's the same. We're all competing on the same level. So that's true. You're an American company, and you employ American workers. Correct. So in your case, this uh, outsourcing company was bringing in these folks using a kind of a loophole of the H-1B visa system because from my understanding of the system, it's just back in the 2000s, it's because we didn't have enough geeks to deal with the whole dot-com boom, right? And- well, exactly, yeah. What had happened was um, congressmen at that particular point in Connecticut in the early 1990s had proposed an H-1B visa law. Right. This law was specific to the fact that if there was an acute shortage of skilled labor right. that was not to be able to, or they couldn't find American workers to do that, they they would be able to bring over foreign workers on these visas right. to compensate for the fact that they couldn't get uh, qualified Americans. Now, the H-1B visa was specific to college graduates and advanced degree college graduates. Right. Graduate. Um, so that process at that particular time, I think it was a an acute shortage of nurses. So that helped with that situation at that particular time until the American schools could get more individuals interested in in schooling to become a nurse. And there were also some shortages in IT. But if you look back into the early 90s, anybody in IT could jump from job to job because there were so many jobs. And so many people were going into IT professions through the colleges that in a at some point, there was an, an overflow of actual people graduating from colleges and, and with IT degrees. Yeah, and there's still a very high demand. I know plenty of my peers have kids in school now looking to, to get degrees in computer science, and I, I really worry about it until we fix this problem. Well, um, you know, that, that's a good point to bring out, Eric, due to the fact that um, the person that I'm running against, Elizabeth Esty, is encouraging students to go into the STEM Correct. academics in college. But, you know, when these kids graduate with degrees in STEM, there are not enough jobs to be able to compensate for the fact that they're getting degrees in this. So they're going to be saddled down with huge college debts and probably end up living back with their parents. And they're competing so that's, against... That's a misdemeanor in the fact that these kids are going to graduate and they're going to get a, a job right away. Right. Now, when I was working for Northeast Utilities, yeah. we were able to take kids from college, right. have them as college interns, keep them coming back through the years as they were going through school, and when they graduated, we were able to provide them with jobs that they wanted to work for our company. Right. That doesn't happen anymore. With Northeast Utilities, which is now known as Eversource, right. Eversource Energy, their whole IT department in regards to infrastructure and Tata is now filled with H-1B visa workers. And those guys and are stuck. Infos- they have to work for Infosys and Tata. They can't go out. I can't go hire these guys. They are, exactly. they are stuck as indentured servants for those big outsourcing companies. And, you know, that's a good point to bring out because a lot of the workers that come over on these H-1B visas become indentured right. due to the fact that they're over here on three-year visas. Mm-hmm. They have to toe the line in regards to you either do what we tell you to do here, you work for the salary that we're going to give you. If for some reason, you know, they buck the system a little bit, right. if they decide that they're going to speak out, sometimes they don't get paid on a 
on a weekly basis right. or a monthly basis. They don't get any benefits. If they complain about their working conditions, they will be fired, and then they are on their own in this country trying to find a way to get back to their country, and most often it's India. And uh, so not only is the American worker being affected by this, by us losing our jobs, right. but the people coming over are also affected. Right, and they'll and obviously they can also send them back. They, you know, India is producing a million engineers a, a year. Um, there's well, so many folks the over Indian, there. The Indian government is encouraging students to go into the IT professions, mm-hmm. and they are actually paying for the kids graduating from from um, from high school over there, going to college, mm-hmm. and persuading them to go into the IT professions because they know that they could get jobs. Have them come over into the United States mm-hmm. through this H-1B visa, which issues 85,000 visas per year. Right. And then on top of that, they can bring their families over there. So it ends up being about 150 H-1B visas being issued. Now, the Indian government is smart in regards to doing this because they know that they have companies like Invosys and Tata that will get the majority of these H-1B visas. Right. When these individuals come over here... Well, you say individual. They're not really individuals. They're coming over as an army for those outsourcing companies. They are coming over as an army for those... yeah, and I would have no problem with them coming over individually. If if you're an, if you're someone in India and wants to come over through the H-1B visa as an individual, stand in line, get your get approval to be part of America, and then compete for jobs, that's fine as far as I'm concerned, based on whatever our our immigration statuses are. It's when you are part of this monster system that is abusing, saying, "Hey, there's not enough IT workers in America, and we're going to throw these guys working for Tata or Infosys." to displace Americans who have the jobs and not compete the way a single person would come in on his own, that's the unfair aspect of this whole H-1B visa system. Right. Now, the sad point about this whole thing was the law, the H-1B law was put into effect to make sure that if there was an acute shortage, individuals, professional individuals in a specific field, then you could bring the H-1B visas individuals over. Now, in our case at Northeast Utilities, there were 220 employees em- employed. Right. There was no shortage of workers. Right. We were gainfully employed by that company. Yeah. When they came over, after we were told that we were being outsourced, we right. were also informed that we would have to do what they call, what the company was calling, knowledge transfer mm-hmm. to the individuals coming over here, what we call training yeah. our replacements. Because the people coming over here basically were fresh out of college, had yeah. no experience whatsoever. Right. So you're bringing people over on the H-1B visa who are supposed to be highly skilled, which weren't, and replacing the American worker who in the meantime had to show them how to do the job. And the, th- the thing that you added here, Craig, was that it's for a shortage. Now, in economics, if you're any kind of economics person, a shortage depicts higher prices. But yes. in Northeast Utilities' case, they were able to say, well, we can take advantage of our quote-unquote shortage and bring in cheaper people. That's not how competition is supposed to work. If you have a shortage, workers are supposed to be able to demand higher wages. So why would our government and uh, folks like Estee support this kind of thing? If you want to train our great uh, uh, kids to be, get these degrees, you know, shortage is what you want. These kids are going to then have the, you know, they can write their own ticket, not when you're competing against what you went through, Craig. 
Exactly. And what about our kids that are going through college in the STEM academics? Right. Why aren't they being tapped? If, if the individuals, the people coming over on the H-1B visas from Southeast Asia, but specifically India, mm-hmm. are coming over here just out of college, why aren't we looking at our own students here in America to give them the opportunity to get into our profession and to make a life and a career for themselves. I, I, I don't know. And, and, and if you listen to any of the folks here in Connecticut, if you look at all the machine shops out there who are dying for skilled labor, right? You can't find machinists these days. To exactly. Do, why change the H-1B visa to fix that issue? You know, right. We, well, you know, it, it is specific to certain careers. So that right. they could turn around and actually say, well, we have a shortage in skilled machinists. Right. Maybe we could use the H-1B visa to get people over here to help us with this critical shortage. Right. And also, if you happen to be an accountant or an attorney, IT skills are transferable. So are those skills. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, be careful what you wish for on H-1B visa when it comes to these, right. big out, these big outsourcers. Again, I can compete with an individual. I give actually those folks who come over as individuals and stand in line and do the process of, of immigrating to America. I give them a lot of credit because it takes a lot of guts. It takes a lot of effort. And to, I would contend those people are probably the type of best and brightest we want to come to America on their own. Mm-hmm. But when they are brought in as an outsourced group like that to, to actually displace Americans in mass in the, and talk about it being a shortage, I just can't get behind that. And I think it's actually a little disgusting. One of the things I have to tell you, Eric, is there are 1.7 million people over here on H-1B visas, Mm -hmm. which equates to 1.7 million Americans who have lost their jobs to H-1Bs. Yeah, and that's definitely an issue if they're part of those big outsourcing. That's a big issue. One of the things that I have found out in regards to Congresswoman Esty is that she has been working with Indian lobbyists to encourage the Indian government to continue on with this policy and to bring more Indian workers over here on these visas. Mm -hmm. Now, the Indian government makes out very well with this because when the people come over on the H-1B visas, they ship a lot of their money back home. Sure. So this has a uh, repercussion on the U.S., Mm-hmm. Uh, economy, because, you know, when we worked at Northeast Utilities, not only were we making good salaries and we had benefits, right. but we also contributed to charities, United Way, we did volunteer work. Mm-hmm. That's not being done anymore. We also, as I said previously, we sponsored kids as interns right. in college to come on site to learn what we were doing over the years with the promise of getting a full-time job. That doesn't happen anymore even. Yeah, it's definitely not a healthy environment. Did you want to say something about Yeah, I would like to point out that you had that link to the video, which this... Uh, I, the attorney. The attorney was uh, explaining to people in a seminar... To companies. ...how yeah. to uh, flout, flout the law and get around the restrictions that were built into the law. Yes. They're, so. They actually talked about how you're supposed to place ads where nobody will find them so that you can demonstrate a lack of available folks. But in your case, Bill, you guys are available. <laughs> there was yes, no shortage. We available. <laughs> but you know, another thing, I, and I have to point this out, yeah. um, at, towards the end there, after we were doing the knowledge transfer to the individuals who were, or the people that were taking our job, yeah. Infosys decided to have a job there. Mm-hmm. Now, we went down there 
to the cafeteria where the job fair was being held. Of course. Infosys had jobs, job postings, yep. but they weren't our jobs at Northeast Utilities, so we were never able to reapply for our jobs. But they did have jobs in Oregon. They did have jobs in Michigan. Mm-hmm. They did have jobs in Arizona. Mm-hmm. So, And maybe six or seven jobs available. Yep. So they were there saying, oh, yeah, well, we did offer jobs to the displaced workers from Northeast Utilities, but nothing was in Connecticut and nothing was with the company that we had worked for for years. Yeah. And it's amazing. Uh, it's amazing, yeah. So they got the- around that part of the lawsuit. Well, yeah, yeah, we, we offered positions for these people, but they, they didn't accept them. Right. And now we had an article last week about the fact that what the Trump administration has been doing is actually now caused folks like Infosys, I think I read it was Infosys, having to offer 10,000 Americans um, jobs. Uh, so there might be now, thanks to some of the changes that are occurring in Washington, a better focus to say, if you're again, if you're an outsourcer who wants to hire Americans, that's that's normal. That's I can I can get behind that. That's competition. You know, you deal with economics of scale and what have you, and you've got Americans competing for American jobs, and that's that's that I can understand. So maybe I saw that. Yes, I read that, and I think that's a little uh, too little, too late, due to the fact that <laughs> yes. when these when these companies come over here, Infosys is promising that they're going to hire ten thousand Americans. That's what they said. But in yeah. the meantime, when they get contracts at multiple companies, right, and this is happening with. So many companies every day, if you read the blogs or if you pick up a newspaper, you see that, right. uh, like Mass Mutual or Disney or IBM, yeah. continue to outsource, and they outsource to the Indian outsourcing companies. If those companies were sincere, if Infosys was sincere in doing what they're saying, hiring 10,000 Americans, yeah. they would start with the employees that they are displacing. I agree. And wouldn't it be ironic if our own Governor Malloy's first five didn't really uh, differentiate between uh, jobs that were required by the companies that are getting these monies from our tax dollars to be whether they're Americans or H-1Bs? I haven't even looked at oh, that. Oh, yes. Uh, I, bet you that, I bet you they don't differentiate, but I, I would, uh, wouldn't be surprised if they didn't differentiate. So, That's Cra- an excellent point. Yeah. So, Craig, I, I appreciate you getting on uh, with us this morning and talking about your situation, and uh, good luck with your run. Uh, and uh, is there any kind of website you want to give out if people want to support your campaign? Yes, it's called D'Angelo2018.com, and that's D'Angelo, D-I-A-N-G-E-L-O.com. 2018.com. 2018 2018.com, yes. Yeah. I forgot the. So it's <laughs> D'Angelo2018.com. I also have a Facebook page if people want to go out there and take a look at that. Right. It's also called D'Angelo2018. No com on that, just D'Angelo2018. Well, good luck to you, sir, and thank you for talking about this issue. And uh, hopefully we can get it corrected so at least American workers are at least on the same plane as everybody else who comes into this country. And I greatly appreciate you taking um, the opportunity to explain to the American people what is happening with the H-1B situation. And hopefully we can do something with people like you getting the word out to make a change to this. All right. My pleasure. Have a good one, Greg. Thank you, Eric. All right. We'll be right back. And we are back. This is Computer Talk with Tab. We're going to be here until 11 o'clock, so feel free to get online. Now the lines are all jamming up. We have one line open for you. Uh, let's get to your calls. You're nice enough to get on the phone with us. And Bill in Windsor, I hope you're still there, Bill. You there? Yes, I am. Good morning. How are you? Good morning, sir. How are you? 
terrific. Um, so Paul is regarding external backup options. Yep. At the present time, I'm running the math computer. I'm using the latest operating system, and I'm using your time machine, backing up the two external uh, WD red drives that I assembled myself in enclosures as they feel they last longer than the packaged ones on the shelf. Okay. Uh, the problem is, here's two backups, but they're stored right next to my computer. So Yeah, they're a target for theft. They're a target or for damage. What happens exactly. I also back up the photographs to a third drive that I stick somewhere else, but still. Yeah. I'm considering these external sources, as you see. Now, Mac has your iCloud. Uh, Mac right. World has an iDrive, Carbonite. Yep. My question is, how do I select one of these external services that I know one is reliable, have adequate encryption technology themselves, have redundancy for what they're backing up, this stuff is going to be stored somewhere that's probably further from my home than I've ever even traveled. So yeah. I have a little trouble with wrapping my hand. I can't wrap my hands around this. So, right. And if they want to change their policies or do something and no longer offer it, that means all my information is out there somewhere. So how do, how do I make an intelligent decision on selecting <laughs> an external source, or is that even a good idea? So you make a, gr a lot of great points. So you've thought about this a little more than the average person has. Um, yeah, you, some of your key points. So you you go ahead and choose whatever. Let's let's call it backup offsite, whatever it might be, and you put your data there. All your stuffs there. Let's say it becomes uh, six hundred gigs of data that's out there at this backup offsite company. And uh, today they're in business and everything's fine. Tomorrow they're in business and everything's fine. But three months down the line, uh, something went wrong. They're closing bill in thirty days. You've got thirty days to get your your data off of there right now. You have 30 days, and guess what? Everybody in the in the anybody of that that's their customer has to do the exact same thing in 30 days. That can get really messy, and it's happened in the past. So you all of a sudden have to now take your data off that site, and if you're on there with a bunch of other folks drastically trying to do that, you may not get your data off. So there's there's the issue there. These companies come and go, they merge, they change their policies. So today the cost of bam, uh, backup is 10 cents to 20 cents a gig, let's say. And tomorrow it's a uh, two bucks, right? You know, the, once they got you, oh, they're, they're gonna get you, and they have it. Oh yeah, once they got you, they're gonna get you. You look at any cloud service; the monthly cost for the cloud services is always much more expensive. Anything hosted by somebody else is much more expensive than if you did it yourself. That's the way it works with any rental system. You know, if you bought a home, it's a lot cheaper than renting the house, right? Um, exactly. So, what I would recommend is trying to out uh, offsite offsite your data to a relative. That's what I'm trying to do with my brother, which I still can't get through a committee. But um, if you both buy um, a, a NAS system and have them offsite each other, you're paying nobody anything. And you know where your data is. And it's encrypted. He can't look at he or she can't look at your data. You can't look at theirs, but it's offsite. And it costs you zero. There's some beauty in that. Otherwise, you just have to you know, decide what you want to pay and understand the potential risks of when those companies go out of business, when those companies merge. You know, who thought BlackBerry wouldn't be around today? Right. You know, uh, Yahoo, that was the big one. Who thought they would be the mess that they are? Uh, Google's, Google just had a huge hack of their system where they allowed a program called Google Docs to be created by a bad guy and placed on their system to allow pe access to people's data. Over a million Accounts were compromised, right? So, and you've had the fappening with iPhones and their iCloud, the Apple iCloud, where all the naked nudies of all the celebrities got leaked out. 
So all these companies have issues. I would contend self-sufficiency is the best. And That's if you, kind of where I'm thinking, too. Because for, yeah. for reasons you just mentioned, and I can kind of wrap my hands around it, I know where it is, and, and it's probably safer in somebody's freezer behind the frozen vegetables than it is out in one of these clouds. <laughs> I would contend, yes. And if you're a guy who can build his own red you know, external hard drive, you could use the Western Digital NAS systems and buy two of them. Both of you know, both parties go into the cost of that and synchronize them across the internet, and the both all the data is safe in both of your homes, and uh, you, you've killed two birds. For they free. come with a lot of options that you can turn on too, so you can use the time machine function and on those as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it really comes up to you, Bill. But you understand the potential risks of the cloud. The moment that cloud dissipates and becomes some other company or goes away, you have X number of minutes or days or hours or weeks you to may get not your have data off. Any of it. if uh, some other person is uh, storing pirated software up there, they could shut you down. They could shut it down in a, in a matter of hours. And that's happened. The guy named Kim dot com, I forget his company, was an off uh, was a storage company, and uh, the Fed shut him down because. Bad guys were storing movies out there, and people with legitimate software and legitimate backups couldn't get their data back. So, oh, interesting. yeah, so I, I would recommend considering self sufficiency um, first. Okay. <laughs> Otherwise, choose your poison. Pick your poison. Um, I, I'm, we're on the same page here. All right, Bill. Thank you very much. You're Have welcome. Good day. luck. Yep, you too. Bye-bye. All right. Let's go on to Joe in Meriden next, who's been on the longest. Hey, Joe. Hey, how you doing? Doing fine. How are you? Good. Working, so that's good. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to back up. I won't give you the whole story. I'll try to give you as brief as possible. I always had XP, and I always had a little program where I could back up my data on the sticks on the USB. Mm-hmm. So I have three of them, one sitting next to the machine, one in my pocket, and one in another building, and I would just rotate them every day. All so right. I wanted to go back onto the Internet, but I wasn't using I didn't want to use XP because it's not updated. Right. So we updated to 7. Okay. Well, there's an issue if you, well, there's an issue for me. It might not be an issue. Yeah. Um, 7 has a backup in it. Yep. But it doesn't work very well. You can put one stick in, but it assigns it as a hard drive. Okay. Well, I can't rotate my stick as soon as I take that one out and put another stick in. It'll give you a different drive letter. No, it just won't do it. It just locks everything yeah. up, shuts everything yeah. down, doesn't let, let anything go. Okay, well, so Bob seems to have an idea here. What you need to do in order to run the Windows backup in 7 is you need to create a share on your removable drive, a shared folder. Okay. And once you create the removable share, you know, you back up to a shared folder because it won't allow you to back up to a local drive. To a target, to a target right. drive letter. So what you do is you trick the system into thinking that your uh, local uh, local drive is actually uh, a remote drive. So you have to use like the host name. So whatever your computer name is, you map to that. So you're actually mapping to that drive. Does that make sense to you? Um, so you could call the shared fold, create a shared folder on each yep. one of your sticks. On each stick. Yeah. Call it backup and share it. And then you go to, uh, you map the drive, let's say you use uh, B for backup, and you map it to slash slash whatever the name of your computer is, slash backup. So whenever you change the stick, it's always going to the backup folder. That might solve your issue, Joe. Okay. And now, 
can you also not have it do it? The problem was also that it would do it automatically. So if I, I don't want to leave the stick in, it kind of defeats the purpose of backing up on the. Well, you can change the schedule. So you can make it so it backs up on a schedule, or you can make it just one time only, and then okay. trip it off when you want to. Yeah, I just wanted to do it manually, because when it was on automatic, that was the other issue. I said, well, i got to leave the stick in there. It doesn't do me any good. It's backing up on the same computer. Right. They have the computer. They get my, get my data either way. Yeah, okay. not, you're using so kind of a sneaker. Here. You're using kind of a sneaker network there, Joe, to do that backup. How critical is this machine? Well, it's... It's semi-critical. It's, it's my business one, um, but I don't have a lot of data. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, basically, it's names and phone numbers and that, okay. that type of a thing. Well, understand, so, you only have three shots at your data. You have three sticks. You got three shots. Right. So if something happens today and the backup didn't work today, you're going to have to go yep. back to your previous backup, whenever that was. Yep. Um, and it's a manual system, So, and you're a human. I don't know how, how uh, good you are sticking to a schedule, but that second backup could be a week old, could be a day old, could be a month old. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, that definitely happens. So I, I don't add a lot of data. I mean, if I go, you know, I get whacked back a week or two, it doesn't. Okay. Okay, good. So you know the risks. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. Okay. I understand that, and I do get sloppy with that. Yeah, and be, and also being that it's a stick, if it's in your pocket, is there anything um, that if I pick that stick up and put it in my computer, would I be interested in? Okay, so keep that in mind too. <laughs> yeah, maybe a list of what oven they have or that. Oh, okay. Right. That type of thing. <laughs> I do three computers. I do one computer for the internet searching. Yeah. I do one computer for uh, QuickBooks. Yeah. I do one computer for me and my list of names and you know what equipment they. Sounds good, Joe. Have. All right, so you thought you thought this through a little bit. Good. A little bit. All right. <laughs> okay, so. A share folder. My son will have a better idea on that. Yeah, we can try to put a link up there if we can find one that might relate to that for you, Joe. Okay. All right, sir. Thank you. You're welcome. Take care. All right, bye-bye. All right, try to get another call in, Mike? No, he's saying no. All right, I'll step up for All you guys are calling now. If you guys called at 9 o'clock, you had a lot more opportunity. We're going to step up for a quick break, get to your calls. Jim, Jack, Rob, hang on. We'll be right back. And we are back. This is Computer Talk with Tab. I'm Eric. And I'm Bob. Everything we talked about today is posted, tweeted, and Facebooked. So if you like us on the old Facebook over at Tab Computer Systems and Mark Zuckerberg deems us worthy, it'll end up in your news feed, maybe. If you go to computertalkwithtab.com, our links and live links are up and running. If you don't see it on the main page of the Computer Talk site, go to the archive links and you'll find the links there. And yes, you can follow us on Twitter and there's a link there as well. So everything we talked about is available to you. Um, if you were not able to write it down, uh, wherever you were, wherever you were. So I want to thank Mike for doing doing that live for us. Let's get to your calls, and we're going to go to um, Jack in uh, Meriden next. Hey, Jack. How you doing? Good. How are you? Good. I've got a quick question for you. Mm-hmm. Um, what um, site do I use to update my drivers? I got a uh, I got Windows eight point one. All right. I try to to read a disk, and it says the drivers. As you go out there, there's so many different sites for drivers. Just want to know a safe one. Always go to the site that's the manufacturer's site. Okay. That's where you always go. Is it a Dell, HP, Toshiba? What do you got? It's a Toshiba satellite. That's where you start. Always with the manufacturer. Okay, so I just go to Toshiba and then go for my drivers. 
you go to Toshiba, maybe it's a support page they have, a driver page. Go ahead, Bob. Yeah, you have to, uh, you, uh, you go to see the support or downloads, yeah. and you're going to want to put in the model number and maybe possibly the serial number of your computer. Okay. And then you, you should get the best drivers. Okay, model and serial number. I think what you'll find, if you haven't done it since it was new, that there are a ton of updated drivers right, that I haven't you can done do. It Okay. Now, one other question real quick. Mm -hmm. How do I get rid of the cash? Well, you can give it to me. How much you got? No. Okay. Um, <laughs> I don't know, about three cents. Oh. <laughs> your, your, your information is worth a lot more than cash. <laughs> so, what type of cash? You're talking about browser cash? Yeah. What kind of browser are you using? Is Chrome, Firefox? I'm, yeah, I'm using Chrome. Okay. So, it's pretty straightforward. Um I, I'm not going to be able to give you the links over the top of my head, right. but uh, we can put a link as to how to clear your Chrome cache. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, why do you want to do it? Well, I don't know. I heard you mention it. Nah, I knew it. I knew it. You just heard me say it, and now you want to do it. Right. So the one thing about computer stuff is it's not always universally a good idea. So if, if your system is running fine, as far as Jack is concerned... Right. Don't change it. <laughs> okay, all right. All right. I, 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 and then you mentioned something about the... The browser location, uh, locating. Yeah, so this poor guy is using a satellite system. He called in, and he's using Hughes Satellite for his Internet. And for some reason, everybody who he's buying from thinks he's out of Ohio. And that's uh -huh. because the IP address is coming from Hughes or from Ohio. So when he got, tries to make a purchase, the location is incorrect. So he's got to turn that stuff mm -hmm. off in order for the uh, function to work properly. In your case, okay. if you're able to buy your stuff from Amazon, no problem. Don't change right. anything. So it is key when it comes to what we talk about here on our show. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if your system's working okay, I would prefer that you go and do anything else. Paint the house if you have to versus okay. doing anything to cause trouble for your system. Right. No, because you know I've been out of the computer since '64 when we had the IBM 360. It was the size of a house. Oh yeah. You know that stuff was a lot different than it is today, and it's yeah. like, oh my god, there's so many different things. Okay, guys, I appreciate it. All right, Jack. Have a good weekend. You too. Thank you very much, and enjoy your service. Our pleasure. Um, it's really important, guys. I, we don't want you to waste your time, especially if everything's working okay, as it is relative to you. Uh, you know, yes, you can clear your cash, and maybe you'll see some improvement. Maybe you won't. But if nothing is wrong... If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, we really don't want you to cause trouble. Let's go to Jim in Winstead first. Hey, Jim. Morning. How you doing? Good. How are you, sir? Well, I'm like the farmer. Outstanding in my field. All right. A quick question. Uh, last probably 10 days, yep. on my desktop and on my uh, laptop, I started up and I get a little window that says... My malware protection is off. All right, that, that, that is scary. We're coming up against a hard break here. We're going to take your call off air, okay, Jim? Okay. And uh, most likely, he's got malware turning his malware protection off. So, sounds like it might be Windows De Defender, though. There is a Defender bug that is out there now that we did put a link up to. So we'll talk to Jim off the air. I want to thank all you guys for joining me on this Saturday morning. Thank you, Mike, for producing. Thank you, Mike G, for posting everything live. I want to thank our guest, uh, Craig D'Angelo, he's going to be running for Congress. Uh, he was on talking about his experience with H-1B uh, visa abuse. And uh, it's not his only issue, but it is an important one. So check out Craig D'Angelo. It was uh, D'Angelo2018.com. So thank you guys very much. Dr. Alessi's up next. See you next week.
We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.